available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we are the Podcast of Champions, talking Pac-12 football. We're going to talk a little bit later on about Pac-12 Media Day, which was yesterday. Today is Thursday. We're going to talk Utah, the mountain schools today, Utah and Colorado. Uh, so if you want to have any, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can email us. Pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at Pac12podcast. Our website is Pac12podcast.com. And our voicemail line and our text line is 424-532-0678. But we don't want to do a big introduction to this show, Dave, because we got a special guest today. Yeah, it's very exciting. We're talking to Dan Sorensen. How are you, Dan? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing very well. Yeah, Doing very well. Can't complain. Thanks for coming on. You can follow uh, Dan on Twitter at D Sorensen, S O R E N S E N. He's the publisher of UteZone.com. And he's our guest today because we're talking, like I said, the mountain schools. We're going to do Utah first and then Colorado uh, tomorrow. But real quick, any Dan, any thoughts from uh, Pac 12 Media Day yesterday? You know, I. I'm pretty jaded when it comes to media day. So really the things that I, I look for are, you know, what commissioner Scott has to say, especially when it comes to the media distribution deal, which I know is the talk of the entire conference. Um, and that's really what I pay the most attention to. Other than that, you know, it's kind of fun to see some of the players and the personalities and you get a lot of coach speak and you don't necessarily learn anything uh, of true value or interest on, on that front. But, uh, you know, it, it was a pretty, at least on the media front, it was it was a, a lackluster day, in my opinion, in, in, in the terms of, you know, we're, we're not hearing a lot of details from Commissioner Scott about, you know, the, the future of, of of the distribution model and, and the, the future of, of the, the, the TV contract. And, and really, you know, I'm not as, as down on Commissioner Scott as a lot of people are, but, you know, I really want to see what the strategy is for digital distribution and direct-to-consumer distribution and over-the-top distribution because I think that's the future of everything anyway. And if the Pac-12 is going to insist on having their network, then you know they're well they're well positioned to move forward with that. But you know, I want to see what the strategy is because it's at some point got to start making schools money. Absolutely, I think that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, a bit of Utah-centric news from the uh, from the session, though, was Utah getting picked second in the South with, I think it was 14 uh, people picking Utah to win the South. What was the, what was the general reaction to that among Utah fans? I think Utah fans are fired up about that. You know, it's uh, – Utah fans, you know, the, the Utes have finished or have come so close to winning – the south you know several times since they've been in the conference that i think they're a little beaten down so they they don't want to get too optimistic you know and and i think that a lot of people are looking at this more as a commentary of some of the question marks in the south as opposed to a commentary on utah 
Uh, we think that Utah is going to be very good this year. We think the offense is going to be better. There's a lot of reason for optimism in Salt Lake City, but you know, with the question marks at USC at quarterback and with new coaches at UCLA and Arizona State and Arizona and, you know, Colorado in the middle of a rebuild and, and who knows how well that's truly going. I guess, I guess you guys will find out when you when you talk to Adam later on today. But, um, you know, there it's there's so much. There's so many question marks in the Pac-12 South that I think that Utah under Kyle Whittingham is is, you know, easily a, a stable choice and with a returning quarterback and a returning offensive coordinator uh, it's an easy you know dark horse candidate to overtake a USC who has by far the most talent in the in the conference but they have you know question marks at the most important position so you know that's where that's where we're at but you fans are excited you know there, there's a lot of optimism in Salt Lake City heading into fall camp next week and you know it's 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 really up to them you know to to execute and, and 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 finish the deal. They've come very close several times, and they just haven't been able to do to do it. Yeah, Dan, I I picked the Utes to win the South. I was one of those fourteen or whatever. Uh, Dave did not. Uh, he he picked the Utes to finish fifth, which is baffling to me. But you know what? What are you going to do? That's my co-host. It's completely schedule based. If it was if they had OSU and Cal instead of Oregon and Stanford, I would be. I, I don't know. It would be pretty close to winning it for me. Because I think that would get them, I, I would consider that two wins over what I'm picturing as at least one loss right now. So and that's that's a legitimate concern, and and that's that's the thing that, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic about the Utes. There's a big part of me, like my heart, wants to say that Utah is going to be really good and that they're really going to legitimately challenge for the South. My head looks at that schedule and. I'm not so sure, you know, they've got Washington, they've got Oregon, uh, you know, they, they miss Oregon State, they miss Cal, uh, you know, yes, they got Washington State, but it's in Pullman, and, you know, we all know that Pullman's not exactly the easiest place to play, so even though Washington State's expected to be down this year, so just, the schedule is absolutely brutal. All right, yeah. well, we have, so this is going to be our Utah Utes preview, and I got the we got the the, the drops now because I'm back in my office. I know uh, I don't have to do the sound effects with my mouth. It's no, great. yeah, you, you did the Utah one pretty well. Um, and we have a list of kind of topics that Dave and I both answered last week in our last show for USC and UCLA, and now we're gonna have Dan uh, talk about that today. So I guess we'll start with our our first one was about coaching changes. You mentioned getting you know having the offensive coordinator return. That's been that's been something that's been a constant change time. at Utah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for the first time since like '98. <laughs> yeah, we, we're in uncharted waters. I don't know what to think about that. You know, <laughs> yeah, we've got it. We've got the same offensive coordinator because they cha- they changed like six times in seven years, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. So Troy Taylor's back, and, and really the, the coaching staff is completely intact from last year, with the exception of they added Gary Anderson, uh, who Oregon State fans know well. Uh, as their 10th coach, he's coaching the defensive tackles on the defensive line. So he's not even a coordinator. And, uh, you know, he's he was the, the lone change to the coaching staff. Everybody else is the same. Uh, so Troy Taylor is entering his second year uh, as the offensive coordinator at Utah. You know, we saw some good things last year. I think that, you know, the fact that, you know, there was some shakeup with the quarterbacks. They started Tyler Huntley over Troy Williams, who was a senior last year, and then Huntley got hurt that kind of hurt things in terms of production and it, it took a while for the offensive line to gel it took a while for, for 
the offense to kind of figure things out. But toward the end of the season, they were looking much better than they, they were certainly early on. And so it, it's going to be really interesting to see how that offense evolves now that they're in year two. And, you know, and I, I know that you typically see that, you know, that there's a, a generally a nice jump between year one and year two of a coordinator, you know, at least a few times that we've seen it at Utah. Uh, that's That's been the experience. So I'm very curious to see how the offense does there. Morgan Scally returns as a defensive coordinator. This will be his third year. You know, last year, the Utah defense was really pretty good. You know, top three in pretty much every major statistical category, which is what you expect from the Utes. In fact, they were the top three in, in those statistical categories in most of them since they've even joined the conference when you look at all the different years that they've been in the conference. And so, you know, that defensive line underperformed partly due to injuries and, and some other things. But, uh, you know, Scally's back. Uh, there's a lot of cohesiveness. The staff seems to like each other. Utah's got a really strong reputation under Kyle Whittingham of being able to develop talent. You know, they're not going to always get uh, the, the four, and certainly they never get the five-star guys on the recruiting trail. And so, you know, they've got to be able to develop their guys and, and, and get them to improve when they get on campus. And so, you know, yeah, with, with the stability in the coaching staff, I think that's that's one really strong thing that's going in Utah's favor this year um, that maybe a lot of the other programs, especially in the Pac-12 South, uh, aren't going to see. You, you mentioned uh, stability on the coaching staff. What's the stability on the roster like? What are we talking about in terms of returning starters from last year? Lots of returning starters from last year. Last year was a really young team. It was a seven and six team. They lost a lot of close games. Um, they played like a young team. Uh, when you look at the offensive side of the football, they've got seven guys coming back that are starters. So four of the five offensive linemen are returning starters. Um, Tyler Huntley, the quarterback, is a returning starter. Zach Moss, the running back, who's one of the premier backs in the Pac-12, he's coming back. They've got one wide receiver that started a few games before he got hurt in COC Mariner. Um, and, and then they've got uh, come I don't know if you can count him as a returning starter. He's not on my list of seven, but, you know, Britton Covey was a starter two years ago before serving the LDS mission. He's back from his mission. He will play on offense. And so, you know, seven, eight guys that, uh, you know, that started last year or in, in Covey's case two years ago, and he was their leading receiver two years ago as a, as a true freshman. So, you know, a lot of experience coming back on offense. And the fact that they've got the four returning starters starters on the offensive line and the returning starter at quarterback uh, in Huntley, who at times was really dynamic and at times was, you know, borderline terrible. And so if, if they can get the dynamic Huntley back uh, with that year of experience under his belt, you know, there's the offense should be able to do some good things, even though they're breaking in a lot of new receivers, they're breaking in new tight ends and, and that sort of thing on the defense. They were really good last year. They're returning eight starters from that they lost both starting defensive tackles from last year but really uh uh lecky Fotu, who's who's coming up and is expected to start this year he was playing better than both of the starters were by the end of the year anyway um but so uh they, they return one defensive end in bradley and i he's the leading sack guy returning in the pack 12 and so we expect him to have a big year They've got Chase Hansen and Cody Barton uh, returning at linebacker. Hansen was actually a starter at safety last year. They've moved him up to linebacker. And then uh, all of their entire defensive secondary are returning starters. So both the strong safety and the, the free safety, the nickelback, the two starting corners are all back. Um, Julian Blackman is, is, is probably the best of the bunch. Uh, he's a junior. He was second team all Pac-12 last year and is expected to be really, really good this year. Um, and then, you know, the two 
safeties are, are both seniors, both Juco guys that came in and played for the first time last year. And both of them have a lot of promise as well. So, you know, there's, there's a, uh, you know, when you talk to the coaches uh, up in Salt Lake City, you know they're really excited about what this defense is bringing to the table. And there are a few question marks that need to be answered in fall camp. But you know, if your biggest question mark at Utah is defensive tackle, and you know it, that's that is the one position that you know it doesn't matter who they bring in, they always bring in good defensive tackles, whether they're highly recruited or not. If you can play defensive tackle at Utah, you can play because it's just a position they know how to scout. It's a position they know how to coach. So, I, you know, with the 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 coaching stability being there and a lot of returning starters, you're not anticipating much as far as some kind of scheme change or anything, right? No, nah, we're going to see the same thing that we saw last year. I think that the offense might get a little bit more creative uh, than it was. You know, they, they went to bare bones basics a lot of the time last year, especially as they're trying to bring Huntley up to speed and then trying to bring him back when he came back from injury. You know, that, that injury in the Arizona game last year really – slowed him down in terms of his development but the 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 general scheme is going to be the same as as what we saw last year you know they might open it up a a little bit the defensive scheme is is going to be you know what it's been for the last you know two decades it's it's kyle whittingham's defense you know and actually actually it's not even kyle whittingham's defense it's fred whittingham's defense kyle's dad was a defensive coordinator at utah before kyle took over and um you know and it's so that fred whittingham defense has been a staple at utah for two decades plus and you know it's just variations of that you know we see a lot more nickel than we saw of course because just based on you know what the offenses are running and you know they get a little creative every once in a while in terms of personnel and and what they're doing with the defensive line but from a schematic point of view you know we it's it's going to be what we saw last year lots of man-to-man coverage they leave their cornerbacks out on islands the free safety is going to be playing over the top and playing center field uh, they're going to get after the quarterback with the, with the defensive ends and the linebacker and that those def- defensive tackles are going to be expected to stop the run. We went through a little bit of the schedule points. Um, they cut kind of the 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 not great end of the uh, north swing where they have to take on Oregon and Stanford instead of Oregon State and Cal. Uh, but talk to us about the uh, out of conference schedule. Uh, what is Utah looking forward to on that? Um, I think they've got BYU again, but who are the two others? And what's your prediction for how that's going to swing? Yeah, they they do have BYU. You again, and the the one thing that Utah's been good at in the past since they've joined the Pac-12, I think they've lost one out of conference game in the entire time they've been in the Pac-12, and that was uh, to Utah State in a rivalry game on a really controversial call in overtime when their quarterback got hurt. So, you know, they've basically, you know, held their end of the bargain as far as the conference is concerned, and and standing up for the conference. Um, the, the out of conference this year it isn't, you know, going to blow your mind. You know, they've got Weber State. It's an FCS school that's, that's a local school here in Utah. They're, that's what they're going to open up with on, on August 30th. Uh, then they go to Northern Illinois. Um, you know, Mac school, uh, It's I, th- I think a lot of Utah fans kind of scratch their heads about, you know, why they signed that home and home with Northern Illinois just because, you know, Chicago is not a, a recruiting ground, nor the Midwest even, for, for the Utes. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that that's the one that, that might – be a sneaky kind of out of conference trap game for the Utes in the in the sense that you know Northern Illinois is, is picked to finish high in the MAC. They'll be a bull team. Uh, they've got a couple of guys that are you know especially on defense that are NFL quality guys and and you know it's it's game two. So you know if the Utes you know walk into that on the road and and aren't taking seriously you know they they, they might get caught. They, that's a game they should win, but you know it 
it's one that you know I'm you know I'm not going to lose sleep over it. But if I were a Utah fan, you know I'd, I'd be a little wary of that one. And then they they finished the year with with BYU, so it's the last game of the season. Um, and you know that's you know it's the holy war, it's the big rivalry. Utah is is head and shoulders above BYU in terms of talent, in terms of program organization. You know BYU is coming off a four year or a four win year. Um, I I fully expect the Utes to just you know beat the dog crap out of BYU, honestly. But it is a rivalry game. It is in Salt Lake City this year, at least. But, uh, you know, you, you never can tell. Weird things happen in that game. Utah's been a lot better than BYU for a lot of years, and it seems that that game always comes down to the last possession, even though the Utes have won seven in a row. But I absolutely expect them to win, you know, eight in a row this year. Um, are there any trap games on the schedule? Um, a couple of them, you know, make me a little nervous. In terms of in conference, you know, at Washington State, you know, we don't know what's going to happen at quarterback there. It's it's the first conference road game. It's in late September. It is out after a bye, so that one's um, a, a little rough. You know, I, I don't know if, if you could call at Stanford a trap game just because you know Stanford's going to be really good, but Utah plays Stanford tough. They match up really well to, to against one another with you know those big and especially in the trenches. So that's going to be a fun one. If I was going to say a tra- true trap game the, the one that i would probably finger would be uh november 3rd at arizona state uh, you know utah they have they've there's this tradition the last four or five five years where just november they kind of try to fall apart they start so well in august and september and even into october injuries start to mount up and then november things kind of fall apart and so at arizona state you know what in you know, I know that there was a lot. There's been a lot said about Arizona State and Herm Edwards, and you know whether you know he's going to be a good college coach, whether the world has passed him by. And you know, we we saw a couple of kind of crazy old man moments at Pac-12 Media Day with you know he's just kind of an intense, interesting guy. But uh, you know, Arizona State, you know, I, I love that football team, and especially on offense. Manny Wilkins is one of my favorite quarterbacks in the entire conference. You know, I, I love what he brings to the table. I think he's going to be really dangerous as a senior. He's got the best wide receiver in the entire Pac-12 in the Kill Harry. The guy's just absolutely dynamic. And that offense, you know, they've got good running backs. They're, that offense is going to put up a lot of points. And, you know, with 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 a team that's going to be as explosive as I expect them to be, you know, that, that's, a, that's a game that can come up, especially on the road. In November, that's the ki- the kind of game that has in- traditionally come up and bitten Utah, and so that they're going to have to get over that hump. Uh, obviously, newcomers are always a big topic heading into August. Uh, who are the potential impact freshmen for you? I mean, obviously, getting a returner who was a true freshman and Britton Covey back is nice, but who are the actual newcomers that you're uh, looking forward to seeing? Yeah, there's uh, – Nine or ten, I think, freshmen that, that, that we're going to see play for the Utes. It was a pretty good recruiting class last year in, in terms of getting guys that filled needs. You know, it's uh, you know once again, typical Utah recruiting class is not going to have the really high level, big four star national type recruits. It's just they don't come to Utah. So you know the the Utes have to do a little bit better job in terms of scouting and finding guys that are fits both culturally and schematic wise uh, to get into the program. And so we're going to see a lot of guys. You know, and especially with the new redshirt rules, you know, you're going to see a lot of guys that are playing in at least two or three games and getting some reps so they can see what they're doing. Um, the guys that I'm most excited about seeing, you know, I, I do think we're going to see Jack Tuttle. He's the, the the biggest recruit that Utah had last year. He was a four-star 
star guy, an elite 11 quarterback. Um, he was an actually an early enrollee was at spring ball and and looked decent in spring ball he looked a lot better than any other true freshman quarterback i've ever seen in spring and utah's had a pretty steady stream of them over the years um he's gonna play you know he's not gonna play a lot and he's certainly not going to unseat tyler huntley uh, but uh, he's a guy i'm interested in, in watching uh from there are two defensive tackles that uh, at least one of them is going to be a regular part of the rotation. Jackson Cravens is a kid out of out of Utah County, uh, Tim View High School, that uh, you know had Oregon offer and uh, several Pac-12 offers. Um, he's a guy that I'm really excited to see. I think he's got a chance to be really good early on. Uh, there's another kid that was out of East High School in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, named Paul Miley, and that was a really vaunted class last year. There were five or six guys that went to major P5 programs in that school, and Paul was probably the least heralded but he enrolled early was in spring football played really well in the spring and i think he's got a great shot at being in the defensive tackle rotation um there's three guys that are return missionaries that they basically signed with utah two years ago went on lds missions and that are back that i know for a fact are going to contribute one of them is a tight end out of san clemente high school named cool fatheringham Uh, he's a guy you know tight end is a little thin utah lost both of their starters from last year he's a guy that if he's in any sort of decent shape at all when fall camp starts and and i'm hearing that that's the case that i expect him to play and to play a lot and potentially even start there's a defensive Can, can you say his last name again for me, just for posterity? Fotheringham. That is incredible. Anyway, continue. It is a great name. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, def- there's a defensive end named Mika Tafua. Uh, is a guy that USC fans might remember from a couple of years ago because he was a guy that USC was chasing. He initially signed with BYU out of high school, went on a mission, uh, enrolled actually in school last year and basically mid-year or mid-season and and basically used that as his redshirt year. So he's technically a redshirt freshman, but we've not seen him before. And he's got a great chance to start a defensive end opposite Bradley and I. And he's a guy that when you talk to Utah coaches, they just, you know, their eyes light up. They get so excited talking about him him he looked fantastic in the spring and he's a guy that i think is going to be a playmaker for the next couple of years for the utes and then there's a safety named rj hubert uh a kid out of las vegas area with smaller school um uh, utah initially recruited him as a wide receiver but you know he came back and he's just been blowing it up in, in off-season workouts i've heard you know stories yeah, that are starting to become the stuff of legend about you know st- stepping away from football for two years and coming back and you know being able to do a you know like a 10 foot uh standing long jump and stuff like that you know is, is pretty impressive and so you know he's a guy that they've got high hopes for the at the safety spot and uh i, I think that there's a great chance that we'll see him certainly on special teams and, and possibly in the rotation so yeah definitely some some candidates solomon enos the wide receiver four-star kid out of arizona is a guy that you know we might see uh there's another kid out of uh, another receiver out of florida named terrell perriman is a guy that we might see you know depending on how they perform in fall camp because that wide receiver spot is wide open uh with with all the guys that utah lost uh from a season ago so um we're gonna see a lot of newcomers it's it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting to see what they can do but you know as you guys know you know, it all depends on what and when, what they show up in fall camp and what they can do when when the pressure's on. What uh, you mentioned the wide receivers is that the the probably the best position battle this fall? Most definitely, it's it's the one that I'm the most curious about. You know, 
Utah's season ago, their leading receiver was Darren Carrington. He's, of course, gone and graduated. Uh, the, the guy after that, uh, he transferred to Houston in the offseason. So, you know, I think their, their leading receiver com- coming back from last year had, what, 300 yards receiving, something of, of that nature. And so that receiver's battle is going to be wide open. You know, there, there's there's some bodies there. There's some guys there that, that looked good in the spring. Uh, COC Mariner is a guy that for the last couple of years, I've thought, you know, at least from an eyeball test perspective, you know, had the look of a number one receiver in the Pac-12, but, uh, you know, just didn't get as many reps as, as a lot of the other guys. And, you know, but he's a guy that I expect to, to, to step up and, and should, up, should put up big numbers um you know uh, damari simpkins is another guy that i think has a chance to be really good he's more of a slot receiver um britain covey of course coming back from the lds mission let's see how he does uh, uh <clears throat> excuse me samson nakua uh played as a true freshman last year um usc fans may recognize him because uh, he's puka's older brother puka of course is a usc commit for the class of 2019 but samson you know had his moments last year had had some big catches so, you know, there's guys that have played, but you know, nobody's been, you know, the go-to receiver for the Utes uh, on the field. Um, another guy that, that's, um, uh, that, you know, should be on people's radar is a kid named Bronson Boyd. He's a transfer from Texas Tech, uh, and he's been, he was lights out in the spring, just looked absolutely phenomenal. You know, we'll see if he can continue that trajectory, and, but he's a, he's a guy that has a chance to play. Brian Thompson is a kid that played as a true freshman last year, had a few catches before he got hurt. You know, he's a guy that the staff has high expectations of. So, you know, lots of names, um, not a lot of, you know, historical production. And that's really the, the story for the Utah receivers. So it's going to be just a knockdown drag out in terms of who's starting, who's in the rotation, uh, and, and who's going to get the reps when, when, when game time starts. All right. So when you're assessing like the overall strengths of this team, um, what are, what do you think are the key units that are going to be the the strongest points? The the trenches are going to be key on both sides of the ball. Um, so offensively, of course, you know the the offensive line, everything starts up there. Uh, Utah is going to run the football a lot, uh, you know, and really Utah hasn't had a three thousand yard passer in at least a decade uh, and they don't have that many in their history i mean they're they're a team that's known historically for running the ball um and you know i would not be surprised if tyler huntley you know gets to the 2800 yard mark but that you know getting above 3000 passing would kind of surprise me a little bit they're going to run the ball a lot and zach moss you know he had 1100 yards last year you know i would not be surprised if they feed him the rock more you know he only averaged 16 carries a game last year and so you know he's a guy that you know He's one of those big power backs. You got to feed the beast, and that all starts up front. You know the offensive line; they've got to be cohesive, they've got to gel, and more importantly, they've got to stay healthy. Uh, their top, they're, they're, they've got the four returning starters. Their top eight is better than I've seen in several years at Utah. I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable with their depth now than I was a season ago, just based on on who they've got on the roster and, and, and who's coming in and, 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 you know, what the coaches are telling me. So that's going to be really key. You know, they got to give up fewer sacks. They've got to protect Huntley more and keep him healthy. And, and most importantly, they've got to open up holes for that running game and, and let Utah pound, pound it out on the ground because uh, the good Utah teams are the ones that run the football. Conversely, on defense, it's it's the same story. That defensive line 
everything in that Utah defensive scheme is built upon the strength of the defensive line. Last year, they were not as strong and not as good as we've seen in the past. You know, uh, the you know, there was the moniker Sack Lake City when the Utes were in the, you know, top two or three for several years running in, in, in the nation in sacks. And, you know, the, the Utes were definitely not that. I think they were ninth in the Pac-12, which is something that we never see the Utes uh, that low in terms of sacks. They've got to find a way to, to get to the quarterback off the edge. The defensive tackles have to find a way to be better against the run than they were a year ago. They were a little bit weaker uh, against the run. And if, if they can if they can find a way to shore up that defensive line, everything else keys off of that. The, the secondary is as good as any secondary I've ever seen at Utah covering them for more than 15 years. Um, the linebacker core, they've got two guys that have legitimate NFL prospects that are going to be starting. And so, you know, it, it's going to be up to the D-line to, to set the tone and and hold the edge and, and make sure that the, the guys in the back can clean up. And if they can do that, it's going to be a really, really good Utah defense this year. Um, on the other side, about weak. What do you think weaknesses of the team? I assume special teams. That's the biggest weakness, right? <laughs> well, yeah, they've got, they've got the returning Ray Guy Award winner, and then the guy that won the, uh, the that won the uh, or actually not the Ray Guy. They got the returning Groza Award winner, and the guy that won the Ray Guy two years ago. And uh, so, yeah, possibly the, the the best special teams in terms of specialist units in, in the history of of college football. I don't think there's ever been a team that's had two. Uh, two award winners on the same <laughs> squad um and they, they've got some great returners so special teams is going to be great like it always is at utah it's a kyle whittingham specialty um when i'm looking at weakness like when you when you look at it you know if you look at actual production you know wide receivers a weakness you know and you know and i'm told by coaches that they're going to be better than they were last year but you know that's a common refrain that you hear from coaches so i want to see it they got it's got to be proven on the field um Tyler Huntley last year, I think one of his big weaknesses as a quarterback was he tried to do too much. You know, he, he tried to make the play with his legs. He tried to do everything by himself. He did not trust his running backs as much as he should have, uh, you know, didn't trust some of his other receivers as much as he should have. And, and as a result, he took a lot of huge hits and his body just couldn't take the pounding. And, uh, if he does that again this year, Utah could be in trouble because, you know, they'll have freshmen basically as, as their quarterbacks and, you know, they need Huntley to stay healthy. And so, you know, that's, you know, that's always going to be a weakness is, is just that, you know, that factor, um, on the defensive standpoint, you know, D tackles unproven, you know, and, and I just said that, you know, it's the most important thing and, and Utah always finds good D tackles, but you know, once again, they're, they're like the receivers, there are a bunch of guys that were either in backup roles or were spot starters last year and, and don't have a lot of, of history of putting up numbers in the pac 12 and, you know, lucky Fotu has the potential to be a star, but you know, potential doesn't mean anything until it's realized right so you know it's it's hard to really bank on that but uh, and you know and and a season ago the youths were dreadful on the edge rush and so you know like you know we know Brad, bradley and i started to figure it out at the at the end of last season um who can they find opposite him you know i'm really high on mika tafua but once again we're talking about a, a, a redshirt freshman that's that we're you know expecting to come in and, and pick up a lot of the slack now granted he's a 22 year old redshirt freshman so it's not like you're expecting some 18 year old kid to come in and do it but you know there's just not a lot of proje- production that's returning i love what they look like on paper but um the production is a, is a weakness and and that's something to be concerned about um Great stuff, Dan. Uh, before we let you go, is uh, any other news or notes that we should know about Utah heading into fall camp in the season? 
you know, it's 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 a typical Kyle Whittingham team. You know, it's it's kind of boring. They try to avoid the drama, which which uh, in some ways is great. As somebody that covers the team, it's it's great because you you can set your watch by it. But you know, it, it's not. It makes for less interesting stories. But really, you know, I mean, the big storyline out of Salt Lake City is can Utah finally finish the deal? If if there's going to be a year, you know, with all of the the uncertainty in the Pac-12 South, you know, this is going to be the year. And it's, you know, can they finally finish? Can they finish in November? Can they win that one game that they have to win in November to, you know, clinch the title and get to that Pac-12 championship game and, you know, try to take down Washington? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I like I said, lots of reason for optimism. I'm cautiously optimistic. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I've been covering this team long enough that, They've got to prove some things before I'm going to go out on a limb and and, and be really gung-ho about what they're doing. All right. That's Dan Sorensen uh, from Utone.com. Dan, thanks so much for coming on and uh, giving us a little preview. We're looking forward to football. Got fired up from seeing everyone talk at Pac-12 Media Day yesterday, and now uh, we just count down till fall camp starts. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. It was a fun time. All right. Thanks, thanks so Dan. much. Thank you. All right. Well, that was Utah. Great stuff there. Now we're going to switch uh, to Colorado. So we have Adam Munster-Tiger from buffstampede.com joining us to talk about the buffs. What's up, Adam? How you doing? I'm doing good, guys. I'm actually in the process of a move. So while I've been packing up my house, I've been getting caught up on your podcast. I feel like on some level we've been hanging out all week here. <laughs> nice. Un- unfortunate for you, I guess. Yeah, I can think of better ways to spend your yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll lead off with this. What What do you want to tell the person, the member of the media who picked Colorado to win the South? Like, what's a message you want to send to them? Maybe a, a little premature. There, there are some reasons to think this football team is going to be better than a lot of the preseason publications think. But, uh, yeah, that, that was a head scratcher, definitely. I, I think there's a lot of CU fans that are curious who did that. <laughs> There was like five different teams from the the South got everyone but Arizona State got someone at least got one vote. Yeah, no, I don't I don't really see that. I mean, I could see a situation in which they were in that kind of middle tier of the South, maybe third or fourth if some things come together. But uh, 2016 was a pretty magical season. Uh, It's hard to predict something like that's going to happen again. Yeah, eight eight one in conference is crazy. Uh, well, I know you you got a lot going on. You're uh, a busy guy. You're moving right now. So we do got to do our preview. Colorado Buffalo. And we have, you know, a bunch of topics that we've been asking everyone. Well, I guess it's just the three of us and uh, and Dan. We, ha- we talked about earlier in the show because um, we're just getting these started. But the first topic is coaching changes. So what? how's the coaching stability been? Any changes made? Of course, you know, everyone got a 10th assistant, but what's on the, the coaching front for the Buffs? Yeah, a little bit of a shakeup on the staff. Their offensive coordinator, Brian Lindgren, who had served that role the first five seasons uh, under McIntyre in Boulder, left for Oregon State. It was one of those kind of mutual parting of ways. I think Brian Lindgren had shared co-offensive coordinator duties the last two years, and they really underperformed in 2017. Colorado finished 11th in the conference in scoring offense, and this was after, I want to say it was about four or five weeks in the season, they were at 11th, and a reporter 
here asked Mike McIntyre about their their issues, and he was very, very adamant that we are not going to finish 11th in scoring offense. It was almost kind of defensive about it, and they really didn't improve. It, a lot of factors went into that, uh, not necessarily all Brian Lindgren's fault, but it just felt like a situation where even though their offensive struggles weren't 100% on him, that it was time for a change there and a good opportunity for him. He's from the Pacific Northwest to go back to that area and get a fresh start at Oregon State on a new staff, kind of take himself a little pressure off himself because he was under a lot in Boulder. And I don't even know, honestly, if they would have retained him had he not left. So they needed somebody to step into those play calling duties. It was pretty natural for them to just go ahead and promote the other co-offense coordinator the last two years, Darren Cheverini. And they uh, promoted offensive line coach Clayton Adams to co-offensive coordinator. I don't really see it as a true co-offensive coordinator situation as much as we saw the previous two years. I think Darren Cheverini is more or less their guy there. He's going to be the one calling plays. He's going to move up to the booth. His history, uh, he was a, a receiver at CU and went on to the NFL. And uh, before he came to Boulder, he was coaching at Texas Tech and learned a lot of the, you know, the, the air raid attack philosophies there that he brought with him to Boulder. I think the biggest change you're going to see there, oh, I think we're going to get into scheme later, so I'll save that for later, but he's, so he's going to be their play caller now. Uh, and Lindgren was Colorado's quarterbacks coach, so they had to hire somebody to, to tutor those guys, and they hired Kurt Roper to come on and coach that position. He was previously the offensive coordinator in South Carolina. Uh, before that, he had served in that role at Florida and Duke, so quite a bit of experience as a play caller. He's uh, was under some criticism at South Carolina as their play caller last year, so he's going back into just strictly an assistant coaching job. He's just going to focus on coaching the quarterbacks. But it does help to have a guy like that in your you know, coach's meeting room when you have Darren Cheverine. He's going to be a first-time play caller at this level, so he can kind of pick his brain at times. Kurt Roper was actually Eli Manning's quarterback's coach uh, back when Eli was a player at Ole Miss, so he's been around quite a while. I mentioned he was a coordinator at Duke. He comes from that David Cutcliffe tree that Mike McIntyre also comes from, so it was kind of a natural a hire there and a, and a natural fit. On the defensive side of the ball, Jim Jeffcoat was fired. He was their defensive line coach. He, was, he had spent seven seasons with Mike McIntyre, five at CU, two at San Jose State. That was a unit that really underperformed last year, and they hadn't really recruited any. They, I, Terrence Lang is the one that comes to mind in, in – five years of quality prep defense alignment that Jim Jeffcoat had actually helped recruit to Boulder. So he just was not getting the job done. It was the glaring weakness within this program. They kept having go having to go back to the JUCO ranks to recruit defense alignment, which is just not sustainable because you get those guys in. By the time you polish them up, they're going into their senior year, and you have constant turnover there. So they need to bring in somebody like a Quan Drake, who they hired, a young, energetic defense line coach. He came from eastern Illinois. was kind of an unknown uh, one of those hires, you know, on the message boards where fans don't get it because they don't know that name. Uh, but he was really well received during spring ball. Again, kind of the opposite of Jeffco, just very young, energetic guy that uh, they haven't really seen it bear fruit on the recruiting trail quite yet. They don't have any defensive line commits this year, but they've actually been getting visits from some quality defense alignment, which is a step up from what they were getting under Jim Jeffco from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, so. The, well, we'll see how that works out. He seems like a very technical type coach, which Jim Jeffcoat, he was a great player at Arizona State, one of the best in their history, won Super Bowls with the Cowboys, but he kind of leaned on some of that stuff. You can't get kids to commit by just showing Super Bowl rings. That doesn't work anymore. If you have the energy 
and you know behind that it, it can work but he just he, he was not working out so we'll see what Quan Drake does there and then yeah they hired their 10th assistant and it was Ashley Ambrose he's going to be coaching their cornerbacks which allows Shadon Brown who coached the entire secondary in 2017 which is a tall task you you know you, they got five defensive backs on the field at most times so he'll now be able to focus on coaching the safeties and the buff backers which is kind of their hybrid outside linebacker safety position and then they gave Shadon Brown uh, the title of defensive pass game coordinator to kind of give him a little bit of a promotion. Ashley Ambrose, you might remember that name. He was an all-pro in the NFL for a while. Uh, and he actually coached previously in Boulder for three seasons when Dan Hawkins was here. And he kept his house in Golden. His wife is from Colorado. So he was really excited about returning. And both Ambrose and Shadon Brown have proven to be really good recruiters. They just last night got their seventh defensive back commit for 2019. So they've already locked up all their defensive back prospects, or at least from a verbal sense this year. So those are all the coaching changes. Yeah, aside from that, you've got Darren Hagan back at running backs coach and Cheverini still coaching the, the receivers. And uh, Ross Ells is their inside linebackers coach. And then DJ Elliott is still their defensive coordinator and outside linebackers coach. Um, with uh, returning starters, I think last year kind of proved the folly of that a little bit because I think, Colorado was returning basically the entire offense and were a whole lot worse last year than they were the previous year besides Stefan Lufau. Uh, what is the returning starter situation this year? How does it look on both sides of the ball? Yeah, not many returning starters. Uh, and it, kind of to your point there, it, CU fans are kind of excited about that. There were some you know, senior receivers on the team last year that kind of had a sense of entitlement after 2016, didn't really play up to expectations. The offensive line took a step back, which surprised everybody. Uh, but they do obviously bring back Steven Montez, their quarterback from last year. Uh, he's he's an interesting case just because there are weeks that he looks like an all-conference quarterback and other weeks mm -hmm. where you know fans are looking calling for the, the backup, justifiably so, because he sometimes really lacked patience last year. Uh, but he's back, and... Now, all of a sudden, as a redshirt junior, in terms of game experience, he's one of the more experienced play callers or you know signal callers in, in, in the conference. So expectations have definitely ramped up for him this year. It, uh, Kurt Roper, who I mentioned as their new quarterback's coach, has spent a lot of time working with him, trying to get him to really dedicate himself to football. He's in a fraternity, and he's got a lot of moxie to him. He was not one of seven team captains, which – kind of a red flag you you know you're only returning so many starters and, and he was not a guy that his teammates thought was going to be a guy that could lead them at least from a captain standpoint so there's some question marks there from the physical standpoint he's if he puts it all together again he's all conference type guy could be a potentially an NFL guy I just don't know if it's ever going to come together for him just because I think this year he'd have to show some of that stuff uh, more from a consistency standpoint last year a lot of times he would just get really impatient in the pocket and part of the problem is he's so good at improvising that sometimes he would try to lean on that, but it just made for a really disjointed offense overall throughout the course of the season. And the offensive line sometimes didn't know where he was going. It was hard to block for him at times. So I don't quite know what to expect from him this year. It, it, he could be really good, or it could, again, be a struggle if he doesn't mature a little bit. They do bring back Tim Lenat Jr., who's their starting right guard. He suffered an Achilles injury 10 games into last season. He's made a full recovery. They expect him to be full go during camp. Aaron Hagler is another returning offensive lineman. This is a guy that in 2016, as a, as a co-starter, they kind of rotated two guys at right tackle, was one of the bright spots on that team and somebody you thought was going to be an amazing player. And he, he did that at 270. 
And so they asked him last offseason to really gain a lot of weight. He got up to 295, and he just wasn't moving well at that new weight. It's, you know, you see people lose a lot of weight, and then they can run a marathon. Well, he kind of went the other way. All of a sudden, some of his skills in terms of being an athletic lineman just didn't show themselves, and he actually got benched at times last year. They had tried to move in, into guard. It just wasn't working. But by all accounts, he's actually adjusted to that weight this offseason had really good spring ball by all counts and so they're, they're pretty high on him uh, but those basically your three returning starters on offense I guess you could mention Chris Bounds the tight end that uh, you know wasn't technically a starter because they usually have receivers out there to, to start the game but he was their top tight end last year he's pretty good he's not anything all confidence or anything like that and, and they don't haven't really used the tight end in the passing game a whole lot he was more used as a blocker so that's pretty much it for returning starters on offense on defense you bring back quite a few guys and this is why there's some optimism that that defense will be better this year Javier Edwards big nose tackle they brought in from the Juco ranks last year well he came in at 395 and lost some weight but still was pretty out of shape he was about 355 playing last season and really struggled to play with leverage it doesn't matter if you're 355 pounds if you're out of shape and they get onto your pad level they would push him back you know five yards and it made the job for the linebackers in this three four scheme really difficult but he shed even more weight he's down around 310 now and so they think that he's going to be much better. He's a real key as the nose tackle, you know, tasked with plugging both of those A-gaps to make things easier for those guys behind him. Uh, Chris Malumba, another defensive lineman, came in from the JUCO ranks last year, struggled early on, and it seemed like his progression last season was pretty linear. By the end of the season, he was one of their more solid, consistent defensive players. Inside linebacker, you bring back Rick Gamboa, uh, somebody that is already in the top 20 in program history in tackles. He is a team captain. He's really the guy in that locker room. He, when they did their voting for the captains, he was the guy that kind of spearheaded that whole effort. Uh, a coach on the field, he does have some physical limitations. He's not if he, he gets matched up with a, a running back in the slot, sometimes that is not going to end well for Colorado. Uh, but he he really is the quarterback of that defense. Drew Lewis is their other inside linebacker that returns. He was a guy that had 119 tackles last season, led the team there. Uh, he was very very raw, though, in, in terms of he would make plays because of his athleticism, but he admits he didn't necessarily always know what his assignment was, and so he's kind of taken that to heart this offseason and, and try to get better. If he can really improve in the mental side of things, he's an NFL-type prospect. Uh, cornerback, you bring back Trey Udofi and Dante Wigley, who both started a bunch of games last year, um, and the crazy thing is Wigley might actually get supplanted, and we'll talk about some freshmen that we expect to make an impact, so he might not even start, but they've really got four cornerbacks now that are going to be competing. Uh, Trey Udofia, I think, is one of their more athletic guys. He's going to be a pretty good cornerback. The one thing you haven't worried about with this program since Mike McIntyre has been in Boulder is the secondary. They've every year been sending guys uh, from their secondary to the NFL, recruited really well there. And so Udofia is one of those finds that they've gotten that's really good there. At safety, Evan Worthington returns. He came back from a suspension last year and shocked everybody. He, when he was an underclassman at CU, he was looked a step slow, didn't really know where to be, and that's because he wasn't dedicated to, to football. He, uh, like I mentioned, got suspended. He actually fathered a child and just made him really grow up, and he came back last year and was really their probably their best defensive player. Uh, we do a top buffs countdown 
returning, uh, cutting down the top 40 guys returning on their team. And he's actually a consensus of the four guys on our staff that voted. He's consensus number one there. He's an NFL guy as well. Uh, that's it for returning starters on defense. They On uh, special teams, they do bring back their place kicker, James Stefano from Australia. Kind of an interesting story. He was a 30-year-old true freshman last year and was really solid. He was uh, still a finalist for some of those kicking awards late in the season until he you know, kind of faltered down the stretch, missing a few kicks in the last few games. But he was really solid. Uh, punter Alex Kinney is back. He's actually a captain, which you don't see too often. A specialist get that that honor. He, the last five weeks of the 2017 season, had the best punt average of any punter in the country. So they're pretty high on him. And then their long snapper comes back as well. So that's it for returning starters. Uh, how about, you know, you talk about some of the coaches uh, turnover, any scheme changes, or is that going to pretty much stay the same? I think you're going to see the Buffs go up tempo quite a bit more often with Darren Chavarini. I mentioned kind of his history coaching at Texas Tech. He's mentioned that he wants to play fast, and you've heard a lot of coaches say that in Boulder because of the altitude when you bring teams out here from sea level. You've got that built-in advantage, but they, for whatever reason, they under Dan Hawkins, they tried it um, with Brian Lindgren. They tried it, and it just really never took hold to be like going full throttle all the time. Well, Darren Shepard wants to do that, and so uh, we'll see. I think it's going to lead to more three and outs, but it, the key with that is just if you get that first first down and, and you start to get that rolling, you start to put the defense on their heels because they can't substitute, and they might get t- you know they're going to get tired, especially playing a mile high. So I think that's one thing that can work. Again, it's on Steven Montez, though. He's got to be consistent with those shorter throws to at least get that first and second first down. Uh, and they're trying to get Steven Montez to stay in the pocket longer to go through his progressions. So not necessarily a scheme change, but something they, they're trying to, to kind of implement within this offense to get them to be more consistent than they were last year. Defensively, pretty much coaches are back aside from the D-line coach. And, and so I think that's going to stay pretty steady. Uh, I will say, you know, DJ Elliott took a lot of flack as their defense coordinator last year. But the problem, though, was the D-line struggled so much that there's only so much you can do as a defensive coordinator. If you don't have that elite pass rusher, if your defensive line is getting pushed off the ball three yards every play, it just it sets you up as, as a defense coordinator to, to look bad. And there's a reason, aside from the money that Jim Levitt left Boulder did. He saw all the guys they were graduating on defense after 2016, and he knew that they were going to take a big step back last year. And so uh, it was smart of him to get out of town before people started to criticize him. And I, I think the jury's still very much out on DJ Elliott, but uh, they run that 3-4 with the, the hybrid safety outside linebacker type. So they're pretty versatile there. Uh, but I think you're going to see it pretty much same scheme defensively, just you're going to have more experience on that side of the ball, which you would think would lend itself to more success, but we'll see. Uh, looking at the schedule, uh, at a conference, obviously a revival of a, of, a, of a bit of a rivalry from the Big 12 days. Uh, what are the key points for you from the out of conference, and then uh, which Pac-12 schools is Colorado going to miss, and how is that going to affect the, uh, the possibilities for the Buffs? I can't remember the last game that CU fans have been this excited about. Obviously, they haven't played Nebraska since leaving the Big 12, and I, they were never fully accepted as the main rival from Nebraska, but it was still the game that was played you know, the day after Thanksgiving, and CU fans just hated hated Nebraska. Red was not allowed in their facilities, and so <laughs> to kind of bring some of that back here uh, has a lot of people excited, and, and to travel out to Lincoln uh, – uh, and then Nebraska is going to make a return trip. Uh, yeah, they open up with CSU like they've done most years here recently. So to go 
against them. In, in, you know, on paper, they, they should have no problem with CSU, but that is CSU Super Bowl every year, and they always get up for that game. If CU it takes them lightly at all, that's going to you know, cause problems for them. So I think you look at just starting the season with your in-state rival and then going to play your old rival, that puts a lot of pressure on this team early on in the season. And their other game is against an FCS program, New Hampshire, but New Hampshire is actually a really good FCS team. I know you shouldn't be scared of any FCS program, but they're, yeah, their non-conference schedule is, is certainly not a cupcake-type schedule this year. Um, in terms of uh, conference play, they missed Stanford and Oregon from the north, so pretty beneficial uh, schedule there. Uh, in terms of their schedule, it's, the thing that stands out is a really tough two-week stretch in mid-October. They play back-to-back -back road games against USC and Washington, so you better uh, take care of business before that and get some wins. Otherwise, this season could spiral kind of out of control at that mid-October point. And is there like a trap game on the schedule, would you say? Well, I would say because of that two-week stretch in mid-October, the game before that Arizona State in Boulder uh, is is a game that could potentially be a trap game if you're looking past them. Obviously, they were picked to finish last in the South and first-year head coach. But Arizona State's played really well against Colorado, aside from one game since Colorado's joined the Pac-12. So uh, they, they certainly shouldn't take them lightly, but I, I see that as maybe a trap game with that, that tough two-week stretch against USC and UW, UW coming up after that. Uh, makes sense. What uh, what freshman do you think could make an impact this year? Uh, can we include redshirt guys in this? Yeah, somebody we haven't seen before, yeah. Okay. The big guy there is going to be their starting center, Colby Purcell. He's a, he's a redshirt freshman, gray-shirted out of high school. He was 16 years old when he graduated high school, so it was smart of them to you know delay his enrollment. He came on campus last year as a true freshman after that gray shirt, and they were like I mentioned, they were struggling on the offensive line, so they were almost tempted at, at points to burn his red shirt. They didn't end up doing that, and so he's going to step in there. Uh, really smart kid, uh, you know, close to a 4.0 student, which you like to see with that center that's having to you know, engineer that entire offensive line. Another red shirt freshman offensive lineman that could make a really big impact is Jake Moretti. He was actually committed to Ohio State and would have ended up there if he didn't have this really bad ACL injury that resulted in nerve damage in his leg. He's still wearing a brace around the ankle a year and a half after that injury, but there was a, uh, an encouraging sign when he ran out with the first-team offensive line for the start of the spring game. And so if he's healthy, I think he, there, he's there starting left tackle the next four years and is a guy. Uh, I have covered high school football here in Colorado for 15 years. He's by far the best prep offensive lineman I've covered in this state. It's just the only question with him is if he can stay healthy on that leg. If he can, I think he's going to be an all-conference potential NFL guy down the road. Um, on defense, uh, this is a guy that uh, Ryan remembers, uh, retro freshman defense lineman Terrence Lang. He was committed to USC until really late in the process there. Uh, he is a guy that if he'll just fully buy in, all the physical two of there, super long, athletic defense alignment, has not 100% dedicated himself uh, at CU, but they've been encouraged with some of the stuff he's done this summer. I think he could be a guy that could really help them on that D-line that, again, really struggled last year. Retro freshman cornerback Chris Miller is, is probably going to start against supplanting Dante Wigley, who I mentioned was a starter last year. He's uh, one of their more athletic guys. They had to fight off a bunch of schools, Texas, Notre Dame, to, to keep his signature late during the recruiting process. All these guys were part of the 2017 class, which I think is going to end up being a really good class for this program. Uh, in terms of true freshmen, I would say defense alignment Israel Antwine is at the top of the list there. Uh, got another guy they flipped from another school. He was committed to 
Oklahoma State throughout most, most of his process. Kind of an interesting story. He's autistic. Uh, he can still function really well, though. Um, and one of the reasons that his father kind of in, uh, insisted that he changes commitment and, and go with Colorado instead is he just liked the, the structure, the support structure at Colorado. Uh, and we've seen some of the picture of, of these freshmen on campus this summer, and he looks the part. So I think he's a guy that could play. And I'm, one other true freshman I wouldn't be surprised to see playing is Hassan Hippolyte, a guy out of Houston area. They don't really have much depth at safety. So he's a guy, if he shows he's able to, to fit in from day one that they might actually need to, to play this year. All right. Um, that's the impact freshmen and people we haven't seen before. Where are the position battles going to be? Where, what, where do you anticipate that? I mentioned cornerback. I think Trey Udofia and Chris Miller are the most likely candidates to start there, but you really have four guys with Wiggly, who I mentioned has starting experience, and Delrick Abrams Jr., uh, a pretty highly regarded junior college guy they brought in uh, for mid uh, for, for spring ball. So you've got four guys there that really showed this spring that they're starting caliber. So I think you'll see some type of competition there. At left guard on offense, you've got a redshirt freshman, William Sherman, and an upperclassman and Brett Tons, a converted defense alignment that are going to battle. I mentioned Moretti at left tackle. If he's not a fully healthy, they do have a senior, Josh Kaiser, there. Their only scholarship senior offense alignment that is going to be battling with him. Outside linebacker, they really are searching for somebody to step up as a consistent pass rusher. In 2016, one of the keys to that successful season was Jimmy Gilbert, a guy that was just consistently wreaking havoc in the backfield. They didn't have that last year. And it really showed. And they've got some young guys, Carson Wells, that had a good spring. Jacob Collier, who showed some things last year as a true freshman in limited action. And then they brought in a junior college guy, Alex Changham, uh, who is racked up a bunch of sacks at the junior college ranks last year. And Nuamutu Follow was somebody that was suspended on the team last year. He's back at outside linebacker. So you really got four guys competing for a position that typically only fields one guy at a time because they like to go with that hybrid buff backer as the other outside linebacker. So one of those guys, if they can jump up and, you know, Javier Edwards can control both A-gaps and then get one of those four guys to emerge as a pass rusher, that would make a big difference for this defense. The only other really position battle I see is at running back. They released their depth chart at media day, and there's five guys that are listed as co-starters going into camp. It would be pretty surprising, though, if – Trayvon McMillan doesn't win that job. He transferred in as a grad transfer from, from uh, Virginia Tech. Actually rushed for over 1,000 yards as a redshirt freshman at Virginia Tech. Then they went to more of kind of a running back by committee. He was still Virginia Tech's best back the last two years, but he got frustrated by that. He's got NFL aspirations. So with Philip Lindsay graduating, he saw Colorado as an opportunity as a grad transfer to come in here, be the man. And, uh, again, you can pull up clips of him on YouTube and, and see some of the stuff he did at Virginia Tech. Really well-rounded back, a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield, which they like to do a lot. They did that a ton with Philip Lindsay the last few years. So they kind of expect him to be the main guy. But uh, in terms of their depth chart right now, there, there's five guys competing for it. All right, when we're, context- when we're contextualizing this team and, and kind of trying to fit it in, you know, our analysis, what would you assess as the uh, strengths and weaknesses right now when you're looking at the different units? I mentioned uh, inside linebacker Rick Gamboa and Drew Lewis coming back. That's a huge strength. They have a couple guys, underclassmen under them, Nate Landman and Akil Jones that emerged this spring. So you've got really good depth and your two starters are super established guys that are both going to be all conference type guys, candidates at least this year. 
so that's the main strength on this team. Wide receiver, surprisingly, is going to be a team strength this year. And why it's surprising is because they graduated three senior receivers last year. I mentioned those guys kind of had a little bit of a sense of entitlement last year. There was a lot of people, not just the fans, but media too, kind of scratching our heads going, why are you not playing some of these other receivers that are super, super talented? Uh, LaVisca Chenault, it seemed like every time he touched the ball last year, he made a big play. Jawan Winfrey, a former four-star guy that uh, came back from a torn ACL and really kind of started to show himself in the second half of last season. Had over 200 yard, receiving yards in the last two games last year. And KB Onanto, a guy that was going into his senior year last year and was one of their best players in the practice fields, and they convinced him to redshirt, actually, which is super rare for a guy going into his senior year. And uh, so he comes back with one more year of eligibility. Jay McIntyre is their slot guy and a team captain, a guy that was probably their most dependable receiver last year. So those four guys are all really solid. I would say their starting safeties, I mentioned Evan Worthington and Nick Fisher, uh, another team captain back there at safety, is a team strength. Running back could be a team strength if Trayvon McMillan is, you know, what he was at Virginia Tech as a redshirt freshman. And I don't know, Steven Montez could potentially become that, but certainly at this point on July 26th, I mean, you can't say that he's a team strength, but if he puts it all together from a, he's got the physical tools, he could be a team strength. Obviously, you can't call him that right now. Then, um, oh, I guess, you know, we had a question from Anthony. They, it's a couple of our listeners wrote in. I know you got to go here in a couple of minutes, but uh, what do you think is the floor and the ceiling for this this Colorado team? Well, if you lose to CSU out the gate, you go out to Nebraska and lose. I, I, you know, these are 18 to 22-year-old 22 young men, and aside from 2016, this program just hasn't had a lot of success, and, you know, Mike McIntyre is on hot seat list. Things could unravel. I mean, if you're talking, you know, the – what, what's the worst case scenario? I mean, probably something like three and nine. Um, I mean, I think, think even though New Hampshire's good, I think you beat them. And, and they've got enough winnable games, especially at home in their Pac-12 slate. I'd be surprised to see it f- fall apart even more than that. Upside, I mean, that's a hard thing to say. What's their ceiling? Because if you asked me that question preview in 2016, there's no way I would have said 10 wins in a Pac-12 South division title. Um, I would, I mean... I would probably say nine wins would if everything comes together. But again, certainly I'm not predicting that. But if you're talking what could potentially happen if everything comes together, I guess I would go with that. Cool. Uh, Very any, cool. Anything else, Dave? Or? I think we're good. I think we're good. We know you got to go. Thanks for your time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Adam. Take care. Thank you so much. Well, Dave, that was uh, pretty cool stuff. We got our, our mountain previews in. Uh, lots yeah. of interesting answers from those guys. Yeah, it was a little bit of a speed round. Uh, Utah and Colorado listeners, we had some scheduling uh, stuff. So sorry if it was a little bit more abbreviated than our usual interview style. But uh, wanted to get you the, the meat of these interviews. Um, and uh, Dan and Adam provided a lot of great info. Yeah, it's good stuff. And we, we did have more questions from Anthony and Hithliday. So we'll try to get those to everyone. It's just it was we like Dan, like uh, Dave said, we were running out of time. So, uh, but thanks to Dan and Adam for that. But we wanted to talk yesterday was Pac-12 Media Day. We want to talk about that. We have some, I have some audio coming in our next show from a bunch of the players. We talked to to all of the players actually that were at Pac-12 Media Day. So we're putting that together. We'll we'll share that audio with you. But 
uh, for now, Dave, and, and we'll get some, we have a few questions too, but just wanted to chat about what you thought you saw out there, Pac-12 Media Day. Yeah, it looked pretty interesting. I watched a lot of the podium stuff uh, just, you know, in the middle of my day, just doing other things. Watched a lot of the podium stuff. It was pretty cool. Um, you know, the usual guys were pretty funny. Mike Leach was pretty funny. Um, and the poll that came out, I thought for once it felt pretty right. It felt pretty accurate. There were a few weird things for me. Uh, Colorado getting that one first place vote in the South was maybe the weirdest thing I saw. Um, I, I, I completely understand picking Colorado ahead of Arizona state, especially how down we are on Herm, but I'm, I'm having a really hard time rationalizing a way that Colorado can win the South this year. Yeah. I don't know who did that. Um, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick Colorado to win the South. So yeah, but the, the, the standings were, I mean, they're basically what we were talking about last week in terms of, you know, where the estimations of teams, Washington was the overwhelming favorite in both the North and in general, um, to win the Pac-12, uh, Washington, Stanford, Oregon, Cal, Washington State, and Oregon State. I think the only difference that I had was Oregon over Stanford, um, but otherwise the North was pretty much what I was expecting. The South, uh, USC first overall, then Utah, Arizona, UCLA, Colorado, and Arizona State. Mine's all flipped from that, but I think the South is so wide open that I don't I don't really have any objection to any order as long as Colorado and Arizona State are um, – well, Colorado especially is in, is in one of the bottom two. I actually think Arizona State could be a little bit better than six this year. I, You know, I do too. I picked them six, but I don't feel good about it at all. I think, you know, they weren't very good they last returned, year. They returned some guys. They, I mean, they do. They returned a senior, senior quarterback. If Herm isn't a disaster, if he kind of gets out of the way um, and those coordinators are pretty good – I, I I don't see Arizona State winning the South, but I can see a scenario where they're middle of the pack really easily. Yeah, it's that's the one I don't really feel great about, you know. But if you don't pick them six, or you're picking Colorado, like you, you know, you you would have picked. I put Utah down there, I guess. But um, fifth, fifth Ryan, and tied for fifth <laughs> with two other teams, <laughs> Ryan. You know that Utah's going to win the South now because you picked them fifth. Like there's well, obviously, the, I'm never right. <laughs> Everyone should like, they should be happy when I pick against their team. I am never correct, ever. I've never been correct a day in my life. It's a terrible burden to bear. I have to uh, hang my little whiteboard up in, in the office because, like, you know, I moved to a bigger office because I have, I still have our little, you know, our tallies up there. It last, if you don't remember, last year you jumped out to a huge lead on me and then I came back and just and beat you. So it was pretty good. Yeah. Just chipped away, chipped away, chipped away until it was disastrous. In our picks against the spread, yeah. So we, 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 yeah, two years ago we were awesome at it. And then last year we were like, okay, but not great. I think we, what, we like barely broke even last year if we were actually betting on every game? Yeah, like a little over 500, but that was, yeah. uh, the other year we were like, I guess if you want to win at sports gambling because of the VIG, you know, it's a 10% thing, you have to do, you have to 52% win like, or something. yeah, 52%. And we, we were like 58%. Like we really killed it the year before that. So yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, overall, like anything else, like I, I apparently you couldn't watch like Larry Scott's comments on Pac-12 network. Like there was stuff that it should have just showed everything, you know, like if you watch the SEC network, everything going on is shown. Um, I don't know why I, they didn't do that. 
Yeah, the broadcast didn't start until I think it was 8.30 Pacific, and he was talking for about 20 minutes before it started. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just the Pac-12 network being generally... I just don't think they have a good understanding of what people are actually interested in. Like, I still don't think they're really operating with the same set of facts as everyone else, because that's the only real explanation. Because, yeah, it's media day. It's not. It's a non-real event. It's just created for media. But... We've hyped it up so much over the years that people are going to watch that. And certainly they're going to watch it more than they would watch, like, whatever was on at that time. College tennis or something. Like Some replay of something, right? It wasn't even... Yeah, like- exactly. Just watch... You'll, you'll, you, can, you, can, you can play the whole of Media Day and everyone will be pretty stoked about it. Have a pre-show. Like, you're taking that, whatever, that, uh, yeah. that Pac-12 show on the road. Have people out there like it's, like it's uh, game day. That's, that's fine. That'd be fun. Or do, do you, something. What do you think about that pre-show? I'm not a like the the fact that they made a point of we're going to go to every campus. I I mean I'm not sure if that's how you're going to best serve the conference. You know, um, making sure you go I don't, everywhere. I I don't want to beat up the conference for things that I think are at worst neutral, and I think this is at worst neutral. I mean it's it's going to be a little bit more football content, I guess. Um, it's an hour, like. Just one yeah. hour. Like, it seems like a lot, it, like for an hour show, like, dude, two, two hours. Like, people watch. If you're making the trip anyway, why not, like, do like full three hours, whatever? Yeah. I, I guess it's they don't, they don't think they have the, I don't know, the, the, the content to fill three hours of just Pac 12 talk, maybe. But I, I think people would listen. I think people would watch, right? I, yeah, I would, I would think so. Um, I think it's a, it's a good idea for sure. We'll see how. They should go uh, yes. like regional regional sports network and just go crazy with the thing. Like have like just weird stuff going on on the show. Have them like give really 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 fire takes. Like don't try to be game day. Be something that's a little bit more out there and try to carve out a niche. Yeah. But um, I think if they're just going to try to be like some version of game day, it's going to not draw really anything. I think they need to provide something that's a little bit different. Yeah. So we'll see what it ends up looking like. I'm interested. Their studio show, I actually think, has been okay. Um, I haven't had any real objections. I think Mike Yam does a good job. Yeah, I like uh, Mike. I think that they've they've hired some pr- they've made some pretty good hires. I think Yogi Roth has really developed into a good commentator and uh, broadcaster. Um, so they've got some guys, um, and hopefully they're able to make it work into something fun and interesting before games. We'll see. Yeah, I was a little bummed. And, I, you know, I talked to some media people. They didn't seem to be all that surprised. I thought, you know, when you usually go into media day, you're expecting or hoping, oh, Larry Scott's, you know, we got to deal with uh, DirecTV ironed out. But they don't, they don't never do that. But they always have something like, well, we're going to be on Sling or, we're, you know, there's something smaller that they seem to be able to have. And I was hoping because I've just cut the cord and like, I, I think tomorrow it actually shuts off. But I, um, you know, cut the cord and I was looking for the, the streaming service I wanted to do most. And there's pluses and minuses for all of them. But one of the ones I really wanted to do was YouTube and they don't have uh pack 12 network. And so I was kind of hoping going in there, like, and we've expanded now YouTube and whoever, you know, is going to have the pack 12 network, but nothing, no new additional distribution. Um, he, Larry Scott was pointing out how stable it was like their their revenues are stable and all that stuff and it will be until 2024 when they uh renegotiate and it's like well i I don't know if stagnant and stable is a very good thing when you have the big 10 just jumping ahead of you by leaps and bounds and he he was talking about how 
you know, revenue. That's not how we, you know, winning national championships in college football and, and making a lot of money. That's not how we, you know, view success. So was, there was some weird rhetoric coming out of uh, Larry Scott yesterday. Yeah, and the, the TV stuff is interesting. Wilner had me freaked out um, before Media Day. I want to say it was the day before because he posted a thing about how AT&T might not, might not not only not get them on DirecTV, which they now own, but they might drop them from Uverse service as well. And it sounds like that might have been a little bit premature, but that had me freaked out because I get the Pac-12 network through Uverse. I had to go searching for it. I'm one of like the 3 million total subscribers that Uverse still has because I uh, went went diving into the muck of AT&T's website trying to find a service that actually worked for this. But I might have to switch to like Dish Network or something. I might have to cut the cord myself and get some streaming service because... Um, Uverse might very well drop the Pac-12 network. Man. So not only are they not adding stuff, they might very well lose <laughs> uh, lose Uverse. So that's not great. No, it's, uh, you know, it's like, what's Larry Scott going to say? But it's funny how he was downplaying, you know, revenue and all that kind of stuff. And that's not the most important thing. Um, and you just want to, you wonder like, well, he's the highest paid commissioner. <laughs> in our sport you know it's like in, you know in college athletics um you would think revenue would matter if you're going to pay your executives the most of, of anything else but he's really he was really downplaying it you know and just saying how well they were positioned and you know owning all the rights uh you know in 2024 with the changing landscape we're positioned very well and it's like if you're a billion and a half dollars behind the big 10 by by then i, I mean how much do you think those rights are worth? Because I don't know if you're catching up. You know, even if everything weren't your way, you are so far behind the Big Ten by the time 2024 rolls around. I just don't know what kind of deal could you get to make all that up. It just doesn't seem possible. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know how to take that comment as anything other than <laughs> kind of dumb. <laughs> Kind of a dumb thing to say, given the uh, environment that you're dealing with. So we'll see. We will see. Um, right. Any other topics from that, or do you want to jump into the questions and wrap this up? I didn't think anything else was super major. It didn't seem like there were any major bits of news coming out of it. Um, Mike Leach was funny. Chip Kelly was was uh, was funny, too. Uh, I think yeah. he, he went over some people, I think. Yeah. Um, Herm was very hurt when Herm sat down. Um, he sits down and he looks, he's like, okay, now which camera do I look at? Like, it was funny right out of the gate. Like he wasn't sure which camera he was supposed to look at. And it wasn't really, there was just like cameras just right in front of him. And there's just people crowd around you. It's like a desk, you know, it wasn't like, uh, that big of a deal, but he, he was kind of funny when he first, uh, sat down. I think, let's see, I, I put a couple of notes, Cal, um, he was pretty quiet. Justin Wilcox was kind of quiet about stuff. No Bryce Love. That was that was a weird one for me. And he did he did Skype in, but and I and I put this on Twitter and some people said I'm I'm an idiot. But do you think that Larry Scott should step in and say, hey, he's our most high profile player in the conference. He's the guy that has a chance to win the Heisman Trophy. We can't complain about not getting exposure if we're not even going to bring our best player to media day. Uh, that's what I thought. I don't know what you think. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the schools should make those decisions, um, but I think they should make the right decision. Like, what was David Shaw's excuse for that? Like, he's got so class. He's doing, yeah, there's July. Some class. It, it, yeah, it's July, but there's some sort of like 
I think it's a graduate school project or something, but whatever. Like it's a, you know, a Wednesday, you couldn't, it's an hour flight. Like you could have come down for a couple of hours uh, on a Wednesday in July. Like there's no reason, like that should be the priority. If you want to be a real conference, would the SEC have done that or would the Big Ten have done that? No. So at the same time though, it's a very Stanford thing to do. It is very like, Stanford thing, yeah. It's very on brand. So I, I can't fault it too much because it is extremely on brand for Stanford. But, I mean, this is not the first occurrence of this. UCLA has done it. I, I think Jim Mora did it mostly out of spite, but yeah. he would not bring star players a lot of times. Like, I think Brett Hundley wasn't there one year. Josh Rosen wasn't there a couple of years. It's just, you know, it's it's a dumb thing that I think some anti-media coaches do it. I don't know if Shaw was doing it for that reason or just, you know, he doesn't really care and, you know, Bryce Love might not have wanted to do it. Um, I can see that. Um, yeah, a lot of these times, a lot of times, and just to play minor devil's advocate, the kids don't really want to do the media stuff at all. And so the coaches, if they're, you know, if they're listening to their players, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll go and they'll ask, you know, or ask around like, okay, this set of players, which one of you wants to do this? Um, and they'll do it like that because for some of them, it really is an obligation. You know, some of these guys are a little bit more shy and it's just not a good experience for them. So I don't know if that's the case with Bryce Love. I haven't heard him talk a whole lot. So I don't know. Maybe he's just one of those guys who doesn't really love the spotlight so much. Yeah, it's whatever. Like you're the you're one of the faces of the conference. You're such a you're such like a hard ass about it. I don't this. care. Like, dude, Larry Scott needs to have, you know, just come in and say, Look, David. Mr. Shaw, Coach Shaw, just make him come. And and that's <laughs> it. And, like, just make it happen. Like, that's what, you know, that's what you would do in the SEC. That's what you do in the Big Ten. Uh, and we don't do it in the Pac-12. And I know it's a very Stanford thing, but you want to play with the big boys, like, this isn't helping. Like, that doesn't help at all. There were some national media members there. There, You know, you're going to see uh, some cool pieces on Khalil Tate uh, from behind the scenes and stuff. Having a five-minute Skype interview with Bryce Love in the whole room, that's not gonna solve, that's not gonna get the kind of exposure you're looking for. So I, you know, it's nice that they offered that, but he needs to be there. He needs to be able to talk with some of these national people that would would do a feature on him and 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 get him more exposure and and kick off a a potential Heisman campaign. And and you didn't do it. So I, I just think that's a shortcoming on Pac-12's part overall. I don't disagree. I mean, I, I think you're probably right. Um, I just. I don't get as excited about that sort of thing just because it's, you know, the media day itself is kind of just a contrived event. Um, and getting a hold of a kid is a different deal than it was 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, you can slide into his DMs and, and get some quotes. So <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I, I think I agree for the most part. I just don't think it's, you know, it's no world ending deal for me. Yeah. Um... Chris Peterson said he likes to prove the media wrong, then prove us right. So that's what he was a little disappointed that everyone picked them to win the Pac-12 uh, North. <laughs> everyone picked them last year, too, except us. And uh, we were right because Stanford won. Um, Leach was pretty funny. Uh, he said uh, that he can obsess about the return of Chip Kelly for two years because they don't play, where others only get one. So I thought that was kind of funny. He had some funny lines, but a lot of it were, you know, he quoted some HIPAA laws about injuries. So the whole sports gambling thing was a big topic, um, asking people about it. And you got kind of wild answers, but a lot of coaches are really secretive about that kind of stuff. But it was funny. You had Clay Helton and Chip Kelly go back to back, and Clay Helton's like, yeah, we'll talk about whatever. It's just, you know, he's he's just like, ah, you know, it's fine. And 
And Chip Kelly's giving you all these you know, hardcore reasons why you don't want to give gamblers any you know, additional data and all this stuff. So it was funny, like kind of differences that you were uh, seeing. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, it's interesting. I was looking at Chip Kelly's comments and I think he was mainly taking the tack. Look, I'll do whatever I'm told. I don't really care. Um, he didn't really come down one side or the other on whether or not he would just willingly divulge information without an order or a mandate. Um, I know at Oregon, he was not a not necessarily known for being super open with info. Um, that's one of those things that I just don't think it matters as much as a lot of secretive coaches seem to think it does. Like Jim Mora was uh, like he was he was like a spy trying to keep that information from everyone. You know, he was doing massive, massive like he was trying to get just to give you an example of Jim Mora. He was trying to get a screen erected between the new hotel that went in uh, just south of Spalding Field and Spalding Field so that people who were staying at the hotel wouldn't be able to look down on his practice field and see the team practicing. Like, yeah. think about that. Like, that the windows, <laughs> the windows from a hotel blocking those windows with a big black screen. So, blocking these people who are paying a lot of money to stay at this hotel, blocking them with a screen so they can't see out their window, so they won't see your football practice that happens for two hours, three days a week during football season. Yeah. I, I hate That's, the state secret stuff. It's like, it's so bonkers. It's like, even if somebody's out there filming your practice, it's not like, it's not like, um, uh, it's not like you're ever doing anything so wild that they've never seen it before in their lives, yeah. right? Like, unless it's like Chip Kelly, two thousand seven, walking into the Pac twelve for the first time and going up tempo. Like, you're not doing that, um, especially when you're running stuff as conservative as Jim Mora was running at UCLA. It really doesn't make sense. <laughs> you're running like the same eight plays. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It's it's like this self-importance sort of thing where it's like, hey, you know, big business, lots of money, lots on the line for sure. Like you don't want to be just handing out your playbook and stuff. But it, there's a point where it's not, you know, a national secret. And, it, you know, you, you don't have to hire armed bodyguards to protect, you know, everything that's going on. It's just kind of silly for me. but Yeah, absolutely. Um, just so you know, though, um, Mike Leach was asked about the the sports gambling stuff, and he said, "I'm going to continue to not bet on sports." So, if you were <laughs> wondering, that's what he's going to do. Um, you want me to play this voicemail we got? Yeah. Have you listened to it yet? Or are we just going flying blind? No, flying blind. Let's do it. I I don't. I uploaded it to my iPad while we were on the show, so I'll play it for you now, and we'll see how it goes. Hi, this is Chris from Corvallis, the way of Biloxi. No, last time you guys thought I was somebody else. I'm the real deal, and just because I influence my phone calls with a couple good brothers doesn't mean I'm a bad, bad man. So I need to apologize about my comments about Jonathan Smith. I was a little upset at the time, and when you get a few cans of Rainier in your belly, you're willing to say anything, even if it's your own head coach. <laughs> he's a good man. I know he's not focused on football on Sundays. I want to ask you one question. Jonathan Smith at the helm this year at Oregon State Mike Riley off to wherever he went. I think it's a Fiji or something like that. What do you think the chances of Oregon State overtaking Oregon in the Civil War are? Go Beavs, good brothers. Good one. I love Chris from Corvallis. Um, ooh, uh, the chances of Oregon State overtaking Oregon in the Civil War. I'm going to get you that information as soon as I figure out 
where that game is being played this year. For um, you, you like the behind the scenes sort of stuff, and we love to talk about uh, Jake Browning, and Dave loves to call him the Noodle Arm or the whatever. Uh, what is the other some uh, Chow Main stuff like that? You you know you have some yeah. good stuff. Some uh, low main, low main, low main. Um, I don't even know the difference between Chow Main and Low Main. I, I usually get Chow That's Main. That's kind of sad. I, I usually get Chow Main, but I think I've had. I've had, I get like Pad CU a lot when I'm at uh, Thai for restaurants, but I don't remember Low Main, like what the difference is there. Do you know? Uh, no. Okay. I couldn't. I'm not going to explain it. I would be fumbling around and messing it nice. up. Nice. Okay. Um, well, anyway, so. I've looked up the schedule. Okay. I have the schedule. Are you ready? Yeah. Uh, Oregon State. It's at Oregon State. Okay. But. But Oregon State in the previous two weeks has to go at Stanford and then at Washington, and then they get Oregon at home. Wow. That's on not a, a Friday. That's a rough so three-game stretch. After, it's on short rest after playing at Washington on the previous Saturday. Jeez. I thought we got rid of that. Oh, no, it's not a road game. But back-to-back road games against the powers of the North followed by your rival. Like that's, That seems fair. Meanwhile, Oregon will play at home the previous Saturday and then just make that short trip over to Corvallis the following Friday. Yeah. Got to take Oregon here. I feel pretty good about Oregon winning this one. I would, I would, I would take them. Uh, God, at what point would you take Oregon State given a spread here? I mean, we're getting into the 20s. Yeah, I think it would have to be Oregon State like – Oregon State plus twenty one. Yeah, like that's. I think that was be be my uh, that be my uh, yeah that would be the floor for me. I think it would like twenty one ish or so. Just and if it was just a flat game, they both had a bye week beforehand. I would I would drop that down by like a full touchdown, yeah. maybe more. Like I would maybe even take Oregon State plus ten. But given the circumstances, that's that's a tough spot. Having to do that before. And that's the post Thanksgiving game too. Yeah. The day after Thanksgiving. Uh yeah, that's that's rough. So I, I would I would take Oregon there to win with uh, every day. All that turkey in my belly. So talking to some of the NFL guys at Pac twelve Media Day, they're looking at potential for the next level, right? They're looking at that kind of stuff. Uh the few people I talked to, not super impressed with, with Jake Browning. Um just looking at him, you know, kind of smallish hands. He's not that big of a dude, but they love some Justin Herbert. Like his hands were huge. There was this former offensive lineman guy that was like, that guy's hands are enormous, you know, and he's a big dude. So he looks the part. Um, if you think Oregon's going to have a potential breakout year, he's, he's going to be a big reason why. So uh, they, they're pretty high on him. Just that's the people I was talking to over there, at least. I think that makes sense for yeah. sure. Which doesn't, bode well for coming back to this Oregon State no. question. Yeah, it's a great, great it's at home. Horrible lead up to that, and I think Oregon's actually going to be pretty good. Yep, I think that's right. Uh, we have some... Do we have a couple emails, right? Yeah, we've got just a few. Okay. Alright, so this is from... Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Yane? Does that look right to you? That looks, yeah, yeah, it looks right. Um, this is a Cal fan. Hey, y'all. Uh, hey, y'all. That's a, that's not a, it's not a Californiaism. No, that's, that's from my current neck of the woods. All right, <laughs> and you've intrigued us. Uh, which quarterback <laughs> do you think will lead the Pac-12 in interceptions next season? Thanks and love the pod, Iane. Go Bears. 
So this is a really interesting question because it's basically it's asking us which quarterback in the Pac-12 is bad enough to throw a lot of interceptions, but good enough that they're going to be around to throw that many interceptions, and they're playing on a team that's going to be behind enough that they're going to keep throwing, even though the quarterback keeps throwing interceptions. So, yeah, it's a really, I think it's Cal. I think it's Cal. Could be Ross they're Bowers. I think it's going to be Ross Bowers because I think Cal's going to be pretty good, but I also think they're going to be in a lot of shootouts. They're going to be in situations where their defense might get might get might get screwed up. I'm having a hard time seeing. So going through it, I'm having a hard time seeing senior quarterback Manny Wilkins doing this. No, I'm having a hard time seeing Khalil Tate throw enough to do this. No, Montez. Montez is the other contender I can think of. Uh, Utah Tyler Huntley is, I think, a contender, but he's, I'm having a hard time with he's it. He's turned the ball over a bunch, you know, but I think, he has. yeah. So those three are contenders. I just don't think Utah is going to be down enough, and I can't see Kyle Whittingham sticking with a guy who throws, like, you know, 18 yeah. or 19 interceptions. Um, Oregon, Justin Herbert, I just don't see it. Uh, Oregon State, I think they'll just change up things at, this, at the quarterback spot if they start throwing a bunch um, because they're not going to be committed to anything because they're going to go, like, 2-10 and 10 this year. Um, Jake Browning, no way. And I guess whoever ends up starting at Washington State is a chance because they'll be throwing the ball a ton. They will. It's just, it's just the Washington. It's just Mike Leach quarterbacks. I just don't think they generally throw a ton of interceptions. Yeah, look at Stanford. If you're, you know, if, if you're playing whoever you had in the spring, like a walk on, then then maybe <laughs> I don't know. But otherwise, they'll they'll also just run the ball. Right? Yeah, they'll that's true. Run the ball. They'll, they'll throw it eight times a game if they have to. Yeah. Um, like, how many picks did Luke Falk have last year? Uh, let's see. So Luke Falk at Washington State last season had 13 interceptions. That's funny. I was going to guess 14, like, just off the top of my head. Yeah, and that's – even in a high-volume scheme, that's – it's. I, I think it's going to be hard to, to rack up the right. numbers you would need to lead in interceptions – and then the UCLA and USC situations, again, I think if any of those contenders, because I don't think there's going to be such a huge gap between the starter and the backups, I think if any of them start to throw a bunch of picks, they're just going to get pulled. Yeah. Because there's nobody solid. Yeah, but, like if, if you knew Matt Fink was going to play for the whole year, you might pick him. But if you if you put Matt Fink in and he throws picks, they're going to put in JT Daniels. Or if you put in a true freshman Daniels and he throws picks, you could bring in Matt Fink or, you know, whatever. So you can make choice. And, and Chip Kelly's got a lot of choices. You know, you got transfers that's they've started you so many options it would be hard for one guy to lead the league i would think yeah this is actually a tough year for this i, I ross bowers i think is a contender just because you know he's he's not a huge arm talent i think he's probably the best option there i know brandon McElwain's in there as well but um so bowers huntley and montez who's your pick so are we narrowing it to that group of three we think i think i'm gonna go montez I could see that. I, I might actually switch my pick to Montez as well. Okay. Because I don't I don't think there's a great backup option. I think they're going to be down a lot. I think they're going to have to throw the ball a ton. And I think Montez is good for uh, throwing some picks. So, yeah, let's go Steven Montez. This okay. is a full Colorado-themed show. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Mr. Montez. We hope you're doing – you know, hope you turn it around. Sorry, Colorado fans. This has actually been a little beat, bit of a beat-up. It is. You know, but and I, frankly, you guys could win the South. Who knows? No you, guys, you guys did mention, um, I mean, you mentioned you know, returning all those starters from last year and you kind of getting burned. Um, so maybe, you know, not returning a bunch of starters will help. Uh, we got Nick. It's Pac-12 preview for me, question and response. Hey, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 from the P. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. So my response to the text 
Yes, I shop at Target, but UCLA fans shop at Walmart and look like, and he has peopleofwalmart.com. Boom. So I don't know what that is, but. Apparently- oh, you've never, you've never spent some time on people of Walmart? I don't think so, but I could imagine. Oh, yeah. You want to you wanna get a snapshot of humanity. Okay. Uh, ooh, yeah. It'll make you a little depressed. It's great. I've been down there uh, where my wife's from, Tennessee, and gone to some Walmarts that were pretty, you know, some good people watching. So I assume uh, oh, yeah. probably along those lines. He says, question That's for UCLA. Yeah. Question for UCLA. Rank your best to worst from defense, offense, and special teams. Hmm. Mm. This is such a hard thing to do as a as a sight unseen, um, because we won't really know. Uh, we uh, Chip Kelly mentioned this, but we don't really even know what this offense is going to look like now that he has like a couple different quarterback options and a few different things. They were really installing a vanilla scheme in the spring, but I might go defense, and then I'll go. Uh, until the special teams proves that they're going to be last. So I'll go defense, offense, then special teams. All right. Uh, I, I forgot. To, I wanted to go and say hi. Your friend was at Pac-12 Media Day, your your close friend, Rick Neuheisel. And I wanted oh. to. Yeah. I wanted to go take a selfie with him and send it send to it you to on the show. And But, yeah. I, yeah, he was kind of running around busy and I had to go back into the, the media room. So, but I just wanted to let you know I saw him there. Um, I'll be. Question for USC, who starts at left tackle, Austin Jackson or Clayton Johnston? Um, yeah, I think it's going to be Austin Jackson, the former five-star. I, I think you, you want to be good and you get guys like that in the program. You have to develop them. You have to play them. Um, I think you could have Clayton uh, you know, work in at some of the other spots, but I think we'll see who ends up winning the job. But I think you need Austin Jackson out there on the field. Uh, let's see. He says Pac-12 rankings one through twelve, then division and conference champs start the season. So he has, so his rankings: he has Washington first, USC second, Stanford third, Arizona fourth. Interesting. Utah fifth, Oregon sixth. That seems a little low. Washington State seventh, U, uh, UCLA eighth, Cal with a K ninth, uh, ASU tenth, eleventh Colorado, and twelfth Oregon State. And his division breakdown. In the north, he has Washington, Stanford, Oregon, Washington State, Cal, and Oregon State. In the south, USC, Arizona, Utah, UCLA, ASU, and Colorado. And he has USC beating Washington in the championship game for a trip to the Rose Bowl. So I don't think he thinks either team is going to make the playoff. But that, that's our buddy, Big Nick. All right. Thanks, Nick. Uh, All right. Um, we've got questions from Bobby. Okay. Hello, Ryan and Dave. I have a few questions for you. One, does ASU finish six in the South with a very similar team that finished second last year? Is Herm worth an additional three to four losses in conference? The answer to both is no, but I want to hear your take so I can make fun of you both when ASU finishes ahead of UCLA. I personally do not think ASU finishes six in the South. I think they're going to finish in that. I think I predicted their tie for fifth with Utah and UCLA. Um, and I've got them with the tiebreaker over Utah, but the tiebreaker under UCLA. So a scenario where they finish ahead of UCLA is completely realistic to me. Um, I, I don't think they're going to finish in last. I think having Manny Wilkins back there, I think that's going to help them a lot. Um, and I just think Colorado, I, I, I'm just, I've got some, you know, I've got some concerns about, and I know I'm a longtime Buffs fan. It hurts me to say that, but, uh, I've got a little bit of concerns about Colorado's 
chances this year. I think ASU's uh, going to do better than them. So I, I, I have them out of the cellar this year. Yeah, Bobby. Um, no, I mean, excellent points. They did end up finishing second last year, which is crazy. I think Herm's worth an additional three or four losses per month. So whatever that works out to be, <laughs> they're going to finish sixth, bud. That's, I'm sorry. No, um, I, you know, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about picking them sixth, but I have to go with my gut. And, you know, it might be a thing where, you know, he had enough coming back that they actually have a pretty, you know, a decent year. They're finishing middle of the pack or something. And then the Herm effect kind of, you know, gradually takes over like a virus in the program. And the more stuff he has to touch, uh, the more stuff just doesn't look that good. So uh, I'm really at the point hoping that he actually does pretty well. But every time I see him, super nice guy, super likable guy. But it just seems like uh, I just don't think this is going to work. Yeah, I think that's fair. And then uh, he has two, which is more likely. A, UCLA wins the conference. They received a vote. Or B, Colorado wins the South. They received a vote. He says, I'd probably say UCLA on this one, but both are probably less than a 1% chance of happening. I can't wait to watch Colorado's defense without Levitt. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point with Colorado. But does he mean UCLA has to win not just the South, but the the championship? Yeah, game? so basically it's, he's saying... Because UCLA winning the South, I think, given the way the South is, and UCLA does have some talent, if things broke like perfectly correctly, winning the South is certainly possible. Winning the conference as a whole is going to require playing Washington a second time and beating them. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think Colorado has a real chance of winning the South. I know I lied earlier and said they did, <laughs> so I guess it's technically a. But I don't think there's much of a chance of either of these things happening this year. I kind of would lean toward, yeah, it's hard. Like, I think just not having to go that extra step, I want to pick B, like the, the the rational brain in me. But the rational brain in me can't see a scenario where that happens either. Um, Chip Kelly's done it before, so I guess I'd have to go A. But, like, I, I agree with Bobby. I think that's not a high percentage for either one of those no, things. That, no way. There's no way. I, I, I don't feel good picking either one of these, no. No. Um, and then three, Larry Scott keeps saying that owning the rights to distribution is why the Pac-12 has done what it's doing. But my question is, if this is such a big deal, why doesn't the Pac-12 offer a streaming option for people who don't subscribe to a network that carries the Pac-12? Oh, it's because they aren't allowed to based on their current contracts with cable networks. So even though they have the rights to distribution, it doesn't actually benefit them in any tangible way thus far. Oh, OK. Just wanted to be clear on that. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, guys. Bobby. Yeah, that says it all. <laughs> yeah, very good point. Good point, um, Bob. Then we got one last one, I think, uh, from our buddy Hithla Day. The price of Thunderbird. Okay, is that a <laughs> literary reference? What are we talking here? Who knows? Okay, I think I think that might be a drink. Is Thunderbird a drink? Uh, yeah, it might be one of those things you get in a forty. Like, yeah, I think I think that's what it is. Did you ever play Edward Forty Hands? Uh, yes. It's uh, that's a kind of a ingenious game where you, they they tape two forty ounces to your hands like duct tape them. Now and, the question is, Ryan, have yeah. you ever peed your pants playing? No, Edward Forty Hands. I've never peed because my pants. That, that is something I can claim. Well, nice. Because my commitment to it was such that I waited until far too late in the game to get the forties off of my hands, and I could not unzip. <laughs> And they, they kind of, it 
you want to drink them fast because your hands keep the beers warm. So you, you're warming up the 40s, which that's not a good thing either, you know? No, no, no. Responsible drinking is advocated here on the podcast of Champions. Yeah, we, we had, you know, we had a tweet about... Uh, we dropped a few too many F-bombs last week. Yeah, and I you think... Know, I felt it, I felt it mid-show, actually. Yeah. Because I think we got a few emails that were a little vulgar. We read and them. then I think We read them, and I think we, we each dropped one on our own volition, and it ended up being like six F-bombs in a show that, you know, we might sneak one in on occasion. Right. So... Yeah, I, I think it's fair. We're a family show. No, yeah, you we don't. What? That's not our mo. Um, we don't no. want to do that all the time, so we apologize. I'm actually an insanely vulgar person, but I really try to clean it up for the podcast. Yeah, no, in real life, I'm I I swear a lot, but you know, I don't want to. I'm not doing it on the show. Like, not I'm not avoiding it on the show, but I'm not like looking to do it either. Like, if it happens, it happens. But yeah. Uh, okay, so Hitlerday says David got a good laugh out of me last week by suggesting that the the email from Rusty Fences was secretly my writing, I should think he would have been tipped off to the contrary when that message said, and I quote, you boys are clearly well-read and educated. <laughs> and he says, quote, you have the smarts and sophistication to make it interesting, end quote. I believe you can do much better. I also had a nice chuckle when I learned that in the depths of his derangement, Ryan now preemptively blames Larry Scott for future USC home losses. I don't know what that's referring to. Do you know what that would be? I probably just one of your insane rants against Larry Scott for some perceived slight of some sort. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's where you go, Hitler Day. Okay, uh, did we talk about this Hitler Day where we we don't know what's in your brain? Like maybe if you want, <laughs> we, we're not, <laughs> we can't read your mind. Like you make a reference to something that happened six months ago, and we're supposed to know what it is. No, we don't know. Okay, uh, but the biggest howler came from David's quote unquote research into UCLA's new defensive scheme, which which uh, consisted of him murkily recalling <laughs> Nick Aliotti's defenses of Oregon seven-plus years ago. That seems reasonable, right? I think you got the same reaction from any longtime Oregon fans to whom you suggested that this was a, quote, aggressive attacking defense. Uh, nah, man, that was Ben Don't Break All the Way, and Don Pelham's linebackers did a whole lot of bending. I am genuinely puzzled, though, why so little has been written about Jerry as a Nero's approach. As a Nero? As a Naro. I think Joe, as Jerry as a Naro's approach. It seems ripe for investigation since he's only been a DC for two years at UMass in the 90s and then spent the next decade playing Ginger in Chip Kelly's Surprising Adventures of Sir Digby Chicken Caesar. Consider that you think UCLA will be a defensive-led team in 2018. Is there really nothing more to go on there? Kind of at this point, yeah. So Jerry Azanaro first hasn't made himself available. Well, the program hasn't made any assistant coaches available for interviews uh, to this point. So it's basically been Chip Kelly, who notwithstanding his approach to media day or his opening press conference really hasn't been too open with the media um, in terms of talking about what he's doing or planning or all that kind of stuff. So we know in spring they were doing, uh, I would say, you know, it was probably one of the most aggressive defenses we've seen um, since doing this. But as we've also seen over the years, aggression in practice is a different deal from aggression in a game, you know, they'll often practice things that they don't end up using. Um, but they were getting upfield quite a bit. Um, it's a three, four scheme, a lot of like, you know, the three, four that they ran 
at Oregon. Um, so we're anticipating it looking somewhat similar. I no, okay, yes, I am murkily recalling Nick Aliotti's defenses at Oregon seven plus years ago. That is correct. But his defenses at UCLA were bend but don't break. Awful, awful bend but don't break. If you want to call the ones at Oregon bend but don't break, that's fine, but they were clearly much more aggressive than his defenses at UCLA before that. So I don't know. I, I think they're gonna be I think they're going to be pretty aggressive. I think they're going to emphasize getting into the backfield and being disruptive. But anything beyond that is really going to have to wait until the games start because we just don't have much to go on with Azanaro. He, I want to say he was once a defensive coordinator before this, but let me let me just quickly check that for you. Um, he was, yeah, the defensive coordinator at Duke for three years back in the early 2000s, and I don't think he was great there. Um, I think this defense is going to be a lot of what Chip wants it to be. So I'm interested to see what that ends up looking like, if it is fairly aggressive, because that seems to, with his with his type of offense, that seems to dovetail nicely if it's an aggressive scheme, because he's going to want to get the ball back in the hands of his offense as frequently as possible, which means you know forcing turnovers, going high intensity on defense. So um, I'm interested to see it, but we just, it's hard to know yet at this point. Um, yes. And from this, would you say, where would you say Hitler days from now? Oh, he's definitely an Oregon fan now. Okay. We, sure. we thought so. We thought so earlier, but he's definitely now. Okay. I, I would say the same. Um, I could have gone Washington still. Um, but no, I think we zeroed in on it now. Yeah, if he yeah the, the the passion that came out of talking about those Oregon defenses, I it would either have yeah it could have the been the only person the only person who would have that kind of read on a on the Oregon defense from seven or eight years ago is somebody who really passionately follows Oregon and yeah. hates and hated the defensive scheme. So um, I also think uh, Mr. Hithliday doth protest too much with that first paragraph. <laughs> I'm not buying it. I still think he's rusty fences. Oh. If you're out rusty fences, I want to hear from you. I want yeah. I want two I want two clean writing samples from both of you. All right. I didn't see. I never. I didn't think that was. But you know, who, you know, I trust your judgment over mine on this kind of stuff. So I go with you. All right. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Nice. Well, I think we're gonna wrap it up. Um, wow, we did. We did this so much faster than I thought we were going to do this. Yeah. We hour forty five. That's pretty good. That's great. And that's, we had to we had to move quickly with the guys. So we'd like a little more time with them. But we had Pac-12 Media Day. So there was some like newsy stuff going on too. Um, but yeah, we, so we're going to do next week. Are we doing Arizona next week? Yeah, we're going to try to knock out the rest of the Pac-12 South next week with the Arizona schools. And then we'll move on to the North. Nice. Um, awesome, man. Well, I think uh, I think overall it was pretty good. We did a pretty good job here. Solid show. Solid show. Can't complain. What, solid, yeah. solid, solid B minus B, somewhere in that range. Right? Yeah. Well, love, loving the, uh, I was a little scrambled today because we tried to do a, a live show for the first time in like five months. So I was like putting all that together, like that ended and like start this. So I didn't really get to prep as much as I would have liked for this because the other show kind of took up a lot of time. But it was awesome because, uh, you know, having Dan and Adam come in and, and drop a lot of, knowledge bombs on us was great so i, th I think this format's going to work and i think people will hopefully they enjoy it you know i just thought i, I want to share a bit of info with um 
with all the listeners out there. Uh, you remember that voicemail we listened to earlier from uh, Chris from Corvallis? Yes. That voicemail came in at 12.56 a.m. Hmm. And just, just, you know, I, I feel like that should be shared. So that came at 1 a.m. and... It, wasn't he from? Is he saying he's from? He's in Mississippi now. Is that was that what you're saying? Oh, okay, so it's yeah, so it's probably about midnight. So I appreciate that kind of dedication, right? Yeah. Like somebody who's like, you know what? I got to call the podcast of champions right now. And it's like <laughs> that's that's several days after we last aired a show. So he had to go and he had to like find that number and call it. And I appreciate that. All right, I want more of you calling us. Very late at night after you've had a few. We had our where's our right? cow fan? Remember we had a cow fan call in and we're like, wow, we got a cow fan. Nice. Yeah, we're, we got another. I mean, Yane, our boy Yane is a cow fan too. Yeah, but this was Actually, like a voicemail from a little while ago. We got. Yeah, yeah. And more international I stuff. I don't, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if Yane's a boy. You know, I don't know. I don't know that name. So that could be either way for me. And uh, like, we love the international questions. We, we get some more of those. Yeah. All that stuff mm-hmm. is good, but. Yeah, we're, we're rolling now. So we got Packed Off Media Day behind us. We'll have some more audio from that. Uh, so some interesting comments from some of the players. We'll get you guys that on the next show. And uh, talking about the Arizona School. So if you have any questions about them, just send it to us. So that is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. And we are the Podcast of Champions. Thank you so much for listening to our little show. And we will talk to you next time.